There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Take your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 2. We, earlier in the summer, I guess about May, through the most of the summer into the fall, studied on the tabernacle. And we went all through the tabernacle. I told you this would lead into some messages on the priesthood, on the offerings, and the feasts. And we're going to look at the whole spectrum. And so now we find ourselves in these offerings and looking at these offerings. And so I want you to stand. Leviticus chapter number 2. And we'll read the entire chapter of chapter 2. And then we'll turn to chapter number 6. But Leviticus chapter 2 and verse number 1. Leviticus 2. And verse number 1. And when any will offer, notice that, will offer, a free will offering, not under compulsion. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense there thereon. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take out, take thereout his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof, and with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the, off- the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons, and it is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering baking in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And if any oblation be a meat offering baking in a pan, it shall be of fine flour unleavened mingled with oil. And it, sh- it shall, uh, thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. And if the, thy oblation be a meat offering baking in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord. And when it is pre- uh, presented unto the priest, he shall bring it unto the altar. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial, the memorial thereof, and shall burn it upon the altar, and it shall be an offering made by fire of a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It shall be a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. As the oblation of the uh, first fruits, ye shall offer them unto the Lord, and they shall not be burned uh, on the altar for a sweet savor. In every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of uh, excuse me, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from the meat offering, 
with all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. And if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of the full ears. And thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It shall be a meat offering. And the peace, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof, part of the oil, and all of the frankincense thereof. It shall be an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now skip over to chapter number 6. Chapter number 6 and pick up reading in verse number 14. Leviticus 6 and verse number 14. And this is the law of the meat offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before the altar. And he shall take of it his handful of the flour of the meat offering, and of, of the oil thereof, uh, and all the frankincense which is upon the meat offering, and shall burn it, uh, shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it unto the Lord. And the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. With unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place, in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall eat it. And it shall not be bacon. It shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy as it, as is the sin offering and as the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. It shall be a statute for every forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Everyone that toucheth them shall be holy. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I just want to bring out several aspects of the meat offering. The meat offering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus God, we thank You that the cross of Calvary, we can come to it or we may not be able to get to the one in Israel. We may not get to Gordon's Calvary. But God, we can pull over in a spot in this church house. We can pull over in these pews and be right at the foot of Jesus. God, we thank You for that. We praise You that we can bring our burdens and our cares to You. Father, I pray also that You'd help us in Your Word. Father, I'm going to delve into this passage about the meat offerings. And I pray your Holy Spirit would give me wisdom, guidance, Father. God, there's a lot in these passages that can be very subjective. And I pray, I pray that the Holy Ghost of God would testify of the truth that we'll bring from this offering. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts about our service, our labor for you to this evening, Father. God, I pray that first if there's someone laboring and giving an offering that is rejected of you, God, I pray that you would help them to understand what's the problem, what's wrong. Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to be willing to serve you. Some folks, God, in this church may sit back and they may not participate, Father, in the activity of faith. But God, I pray tonight, show that they need to bring an offering, that Jesus died for them, that He's been good to them, and therefore we ought to render service to You. Father, bless our time of worship. Give us spiritual growth from it. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Although the title of our offering uh, that it's in focus is called the meat 
offering. In actuality, this offering is the only one that doesn't have meat. <laughs> it doesn't have any flesh at all. This one is purely of the grain. One author in the it is a cereal type offering. It's it's of the grain of the field. And the reason we call it a meat offering is because in the day of our authorized version translators, you wouldn't invite someone over for a meal, a sit-down meal. You would all you would invite them over for a meat. It's a usage in language. Actually, we could call this the meal offerings. I've got a, I've got a Schofield reference Bible. And, and anytime you see that word meat here, there's a note that would indicate that it means a meal. A sit-down meal that is offered to the Lord. And so, I want to focus in on this meal or meat offering. And notice it is the second of the five offerings, you remember we looked at the offerings to get collectively in a couple of messages. We saw, oh, I hope I can remember them all. We saw the burnt offering, the meat offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. These are the offerings that we'll look at uh, that the uh, that made use of this tabernacle, made use of all these instruments we studied about before. And so tonight I want to look at this second one in Leviticus, and it's very different from all the other ones. Like I said, this is the only one that did not involve blood. It was a bloodless offering. It was one that is characterized by labor and by works. And so I want us to see, listen, here's my proposition. Every one of us can learn valuable lessons for our Christian experience by seeing five basic truths that come out of this passage of Scripture. Five basic truths or principles about the meat offering. So here's the first one. The first principle is this. The meat offering's prescription. Prescription. We read all of Leviticus chapter 2, and it prescribed. You go to the doctor, and you're sick, and the doctor writes out a prescription for your ailment, for your situation. Well, here, God is giving a prescription to His people, an offering in which they can bring to God, one that is completely bloodless. So first of all, I want to look at its element. Its element. Now, this offering primarily, this offering's primary element is flour, finely ground wheat, wheat that had been planted Wheat that had been harvested, had been crushed, had been ground, had been sifted 13 times in order for it to be counted as Leviticus 2 tells us to be fine flour. It had to be sifted 13 different times to be the purest of the pure. You know, this element of the fine flour, which is the crushed wheat of the field, speaks to us of the life and the work of our Lord Jesus. Jesus who was crushed. Jesus who was beaten. Jesus who passed through the fires of Calvary. Jesus who was sifted and threshed by, by the temptations of Satan and the trials of men. He found to have no sin. No purity. If you'll recall, we read in Leviticus 2 how that no just said Passover cakes, just as the, the Passover elements were to have no leaven. So this meal 
offering was to have no leaven whatsoever. Leaven is a, is a representation, a type of sin. And so we see in the elements here, we see Jesus Christ, the basic element of uh, this, uh, of this uh, offering. And when I say this, any service that we render, when it all boils down to it, when it all gets right shook to the cob, what it all is about, it's about Jesus. In its infancy, in its smallest form, it should be about Jesus. Not about the preacher, not about the congregation, not about per se this church in and of itself. It is because of Jesus and Him alone. He is the element at the core of this offering. But notice not only the element, but I want you to see the additives. You see, we went down through chapter number 2, and additives that are discussed. For example, one additive to, that was added was, was the additive of oil. Remember how he said, no matter if the cake was baked in a frying pan or was cooked in an oven or was roasted on, on the corn, on the, the cob, the wheat itself was roasted or whether it was just beaten flour, it all came with what? Oil. Oh, you try to cook a cake without oil, you're going to have a hard time, aren't you? Because you got to have oil. It's an essential part. You can't have a cake. You can't have anything that will cook, anything that will make a meal without oil. That is just like Jesus Christ and His, you know, oil is always a type of the Holy Spirit in, in our, in your Bible. And so we find that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inseparable. What form the meal offering came in? It always came with all oh, a type of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord's servant, we was permeated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just like you and I, when we labor for the Lord, when we attempt to go out and serve Jesus in its essence, we must have, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It, it'll fall apart in a heartbeat. Out the Holy Spirit of God. We see also not only the oil, but our, our text in chapter number 2 told us that under no circumstance are we to ever give a meal offering without salt. Amen. I like salt. My daddy is, I, I try to, I got to try to cut back. I see my daddy's position now. He's all, he was all time on me about the salt I put on my food. And I find myself doing the same thing with my boys. They love salt. The Bible does say salt is good. And so, but salt, any offering, any meal offering that was to come was to come with salt. Now, what's this about? Notice in verse number 13 in chapter number 2. Notice the particular the particular uh, uh, thing that God calls out. He said, every oblation about me thou season with salt neither salt thou uh, excuse me uh, uh, with salt neither shalt thou suffer the salt of thy covenant of thy God to be lacking from your meat offering what is he talking about the salt of your covenant with God well the Bedouin people of that area that region would have readily understood a salt 
You see, there was three types of covenants among these people of, of the, of the time, day and time in which Moses put this together. Three types of covenants. There was the blood covenant. Remember how Abraham, he carved up an animal and made a bloody path, one on each side. God and Abraham were supposed to walk through it, but God said, Abraham, you can't do it. Caused him to sleep. God himself walked blood covenant. Well, there was also a wine and bread covenant, and there was a salt covenant as well. Salt was used to make a covenant among the Bedouin people of that region. Covenant would indicate friendship. Friendship. What does it say that Abraham was a friend with God? Oh, Jesus Disciples, you're not my servants, you're my friends. Because the servant knoweth not what the master does. You're my friends. You see, we have been brought into that salt covenant. And then also, it had frankincense. Now what's frankincense uh, dealing with here, Brother Ronnie? Well, frankincense is only effective until it is burnt. It pictures the essential uh, portions of prayer. Talked about that uh, that altar of incense and how they would take that frankincense and they'd bring it into that altar and they would light it and the smoke and the aroma would fill the tabernacle. It is a representation of prayer ascending up to God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, His life was permeated with prayer. With prayer. It's amazing how us Christians think we can get along with just five and ten minutes of prayer and with Jesus Christ Himself, God of the universe, Son of very God, spent hours and hours and nights in wrestling in prayer with God. As it is burned, it sends up a beautiful aroma. The high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus went up the crushing time of his uh, of his uh, Gethsemane. I like what one author said. He said, fire calls the odor uh, to rise as trials drive us to our knees and cause our prayers to ascend to God. Oh, just like that incense passes through the fire and it immediately when it contacts that fire, it begins to billow and to smoke and that sweet fragrance and aroma ascends to God. Listen, when we go through the trials, when we go through the valleys and the and the birth and the sorrows, let it bring to our knees where we can offer that incense to God, that incense of prayer. Notice there's some things not to go in this as well. Notice we're not to have leaven. Any leaven, there's to be no leaven. Leaven is a type of sin. I told you that earlier. The life of the Lord Jesus was without sin upon and apart. All right. Uh, the type of the Lord Jesus was his ministry was without sin. So we should, in our service, strive to have a pure motive to be pure. Jesus was without reproach, and we should be pure as well. Notice also we see no honey is to be added. No honey. One author pointed out that roasted barley was tasteless without the sweetening of honey. You know how it talks about that one of the meal offerings is they could present was that roasted corn, that roasted barley 
those kernels of corn being baked, and that could be given with salt and frankincense and everything else. But this author told us that, that it was absolutely tasteless without honey. You see, we must not add any honey of compromise to make the message of the gospel more palatable to the taste of this world. That's the temptation in our day is to conform everything that we can to be palatable to the world. But in reality, it is the grossness of the cross. It is the pain and the sorrow and the agony of Calvary which we preach. Which we preach. We live in such a world that wants to to drain all the blood out of our religion when it's the blood that saves us. We don't want to, honey, we don't want to make it sweet and palatable for the world. You see, these are the, the prescription of the meat offering. Now, number two, I want you to see not only the prescription of the meat offering, but I want you to see the meat offering's preparation. Preparation. Now, this flour, what was the basic element? It was wheat. Now, this wheat could be prepared and given as a meat offering Three different ways. Three particular ways. And I want to show you those. The first way, we read it in chapter number 2, is that it could come as an offering of just fine flour. Mingle with oil, of course, with its frankincense, with its salt. But it could come in the form of just flour. It could come in uncooked, floured form. Plain, ordinary flour. An offering could reach into the, an offer could reach into the meal barrel, pull out a portion of that flour, mix it with oil, put the frankincense, give the salt, and give it uh, to the priest, uh, and give it uh, and give it to the priest, uh, and and God, listen, God gave, listen, God makes it acceptable for him just to pick up that flour and bring it to the priest. The priest, all right. Let's compare that to our Christian life. Let's compare that to our Christian life. Think about this. God gave us life. We can give a portion back to Him, but we can't. God, God gave us time. We can give some time back to the Lord. God gave us a Bible. We can sit down and give back to the Lord by reading some of that Bible. God gave us a church. And we can come in and attend upon that worship. You see what I'm saying? These are the basics of our Christian experience. God gave us money. He gives us a physical abilities to work a job, to make a living. We can give a portion of that back to Him. That is a picture of that plain offering. That plain offering, just dip down in there and give some back to the Lord. Notice the second way it could come. It could also come not just plain, but prepared. It could come as unleavened cakes. Chapter number 2 outlines this. Here, there's some effort, there's some extra effort that has been applied uh, and been used to turn this flour into something that is tasty. Something that is appetizing. Something that can be readily received into the body. The Bible, you see, we compare that to the Christian life just like this. The Bible can be read but to go a step further and to study it and to apply it and to give our dead level best to live it in our daily lives. Why? That's just not a plain offering. That's a prepared offering. You see what I'm saying? 
You see, we could uh, we could see uh, that uh, the uh, the church service instead of just showing up at a church service and being an attendee, we could begin to actually come in and look for ways to serve the Lord in our worship. You see, or maybe we could go on to the area of money. Instead of just dropping something in the offering plate, we take the time and prepare to drop a tithe, a tenth, into the offering. You see what I'm saying? It was a step further. It was just not the average, just not the basic. They went and prepared the offering. You see, all done without leaven, uh, of the leaven of pride and of self-esteem. There was the plain, there was the prepared, and then there was also the preserved. This seemed to even go another step further. The preserved was that roasted grain. Remember, it showed up in the latter part. In the latter part of verse number 2 and 14, talking about that, uh, those first, uh, what does it say? In verse number 14, meat offering thy first fruit unto the Lord, thou shalt offer meat offering thy first fruits uh, of corn dried by the fire. So here's another level of which they can offer it. Here, there's some more effort that's been used uh, to place into this offering. You see, this offering is the preserved by fire. See, what they would do is they'd take those, oh, those ears of wheat and they would pass them through the fire and roast them and cook them to preserve them. And it was even more effort, more time consuming than the baking. Here is the one whose faith has stood the trial of fire, who has passed through the fire to find that God is faithful. Here's the grandmama who's, who's got her kids out into the world but still comes under God's house and raises a hand saying, I'll trust you, Lord. Here's the, here's the Christian that's lost his job that don't know where his next check's coming from but still says, I'll honor you with the first fruits of my increase. Here's the mama that has lost her kids. They're out into the world but still says, I'll serve him who saved me. You see what I'm saying? It's that step further into sacrifice. Well, listen, who would, listen, it's the one who would give when it hurts, who would sing when they only want to cry, who worship God when they could be licking their wounds in self-pity. That's exactly right. It is an acceptable offering, the highest form of that meal offering. Do you see what I'm talking about? I mean, we see them all in our church. Some that just dip out and give whatever. Some that put in a little preparation. Some have been through the fire. Some are going through difficulty. And yet they still raise their hands and praise our God. You see what I'm saying? There is the preparation of that offering. Now I want you to see also the meat offerings presentation. The presentation. So we've got all of our elements together. We've prepared our offering, whatever it may be, the flour or the, or the, the bread or the roasted, uh, ear or roasted kernels. We prepared it. Now what do we do with it? Well, what happens with it? Well, first of all, it is presented by the offer. The offering was a gift. Actually, the word meal here is a word that indicates gift. God, God does not require a gift. You understand that? A gift. I don't require, that'd be pretty lousy of me. I don't require a gift for, uh, 
my birthday's not a good example because we're right in that month. Uh, my wife does not require a gift for y'all out of the kindness of your heart. Listen, out of the kindness of your heart, you got my wife that sewing machine and it's for hours and hours of preoccupation with that thing now. But she's got that sewing machine now. And listen, my wife did not require that sewing machine of you. It was a gift given straight from your hearts. You see, God does not require this meal offering. God does not require your service. I mean, you can sit and rot on that pew just as long as you want to. You can sit on that pew and let cobwebs envelop your body. God is not going to require you to serve Him, but we ought to serve Him. God's been good to us. God, God hasn't given us the compulsion just like this offering. It is a gift. There was no obligation for this offering. The offer simply brought it in thanksgiving to God for His love and goodness bestowed upon them. You want a real motivation for service? You say, Brother Roddy, I get kind of discouraged. I'm preaching to myself, by the way, right now, so y'all can just leave or whatever. You get a little discouraged, you get a little down. Hey, you want some real good motivation to continue to serve God? God has been good to you, not just to save your worthless soul from the fires of hell, but to plant your feet on a solid rock to put you on a path of righteousness, to walk with Him day in and day out, to give you insight and special uh, uh, taking from God's Word. God's been good to you. We ought to be willing to serve Him. You see, that's the offer. He comes. This offering was taken to the tabernacle door and handed to the priest. No ceremony. No participation, just the yieldedness of God. Boy, I love that picture as I saw that. You know, there's no, there's no everybody backing up. And like the burnt offering, we said that the man took the knife and he slit the throat of the knife, uh, of the animal and the blood poured out in the basin. And then there was the whole ceremony of how the priest would sprinkle the blood and this and that. You know, there's nothing like that with a meal offering. Whoever it was, that man brought that offering. Just met a priest at the door and handed it to him and walked away. You know, a lot of your service to the Lord, many of you in here, unseen, nobody sees a lot what you do. Some people will come in and work on building, I won't ever know it. Some people give extra offerings and I'll never know it. Some people labor and work behind the scenes in preparation and buying food and doing this and doing that. And that's just like this meat offering. There's no ceremony. It is just a yieldedness to God. And if you're expecting a pat on the back, if you're expecting some kind of, and I know everybody likes to be, and I try to go out of my way to thank folks for what, whatever little they do and whatever great things they do, I do my best to thank you. But listen, it is the applause of heaven. God sees when that meal offering comes by the door. God sees your labor of love. God sees it. God sees it. It's given, it's given at the door. Your service to God is not for you to be seen, but it is a gift of thanksgiving back to a gracious God. We see not only in the presentation by the offer, but we see the presentation by the official. And so he hands it to the priest. The actual presentation of the offering to God was done by the priest. The priest just simply reached into the offering, pulled out a handful, took up all the frankincense, and laid it on the altar and burned it with fire. 
Now, I know there's not a whole lot of meat to that because it invades my next point. So we'll get right into the next point. It leads me to the next point. Not only presentation of the offering, but I want you to see the meat offerings portions. Portions. Now, what happened last week with the burnt offering? Remember what happened with the burnt offering? Every part of the burnt offering was burned on the fire. A priest didn't get nothing, and the offer didn't get a thing. Nobody got anything. God got it all. All right? But that's not the way it is with the meal offering. You see, in the case of the burnt offerings, God got everything. But with the meat offering, there were a different portions. Now I want you to see, first of all, the delivered portion. The delivered. Now when the offer delivered the meal uh, offering, he left with nothing. That offer, he brought the bags of that offering Whatever, whatever he baked, whatever he roasted, whatever he put in a, in a container, he brought that to the tabernacle and he left empty handed. He gave it all to that priest. He gave it all into that, for that offering. None of it was taken for himself. One author said, God only accepts that which is wholeheartedly and is willingly given. God only accepts that you see, listen, if you give your tithe and offering because you think Brother Ronnie's checking on you and finding out whether you give or not, and you grudgingly write that check every week, eh, I'm sorry, I'll take your money, but it's not an acceptable sacrifice. It's not. God accepts that which is willingly given. I'd rather have the two widows' mites than all the Pharisees' money that we could stand. Why? We'll get more accomplished with two widow women's mites of faithfulness than when we're all the treasures of CEOs of corporations. You see, it is delivered and is given all and completely uh, to, uh, to God. I fear that a majority of our service is oftentimes rejected because we're feasting our pride, ego, and self-worth on it before it ever gets down to God. Did you hear what I'm saying? I believe a lot of our sacrifices are rejected because it feeds our ego. We feed off of it with our pride and ego and self-worth before we ever get it to God. God never accepts leftovers. Never. Never accepts leftovers. That leads us to the next one. There's the delivered portion. He gets nothing. Then we see the divine portion. The priest, like I said, the priest reaches into that offering. Maybe he, I like to think it's cornbread, something like cornbread. Amen. He reaches in and, and pinches him off some of that cornbread. And I know it hurts his hand to let it go, but he, he takes that cornbread and he, he takes that frankincense and uh, all that, and puts it onto the fire. One handful. If you'll notice in the reading of our text, we ran across the word memorial. Several times. Memorial. Memorial. It is a memorial. It is a memorial. What that is, is that one handful of that offering given by the priest is a representation of all that's left. It is as if God is saying that that one handpiece that's been burnt in the fire. I know. I know they gave it all. I know they gave it all to me. But I'm going to accept this one handful because of something else. Because something else is going on. You see, the handful is representative of the 
whole offering. It is a memorial, a symbol of the whole offering that is accepted by God. Listen, when we think of this, it reminds us that as one author, I like what this one author said. And he's really right. Listen very closely to what he said. Only a very small portion of what we give to God in both gifts and service really belongs to Him. Our offerings are taken in the name of the Lord and they're given to Him. When you write your tithe check or when you teach your Sunday school class or whatever you do to serve the Lord, you're doing it for Him. You're doing it for God and God alone. But in reality, when we take up that offering on Sunday, Brother Bill's going to write the check. He's going to write a check to the power company. He's going to write a check to me. He's going to write a check to uh, take care of this and pay this power bill, pay that water bill, pay for this insurance and pay this and pay that. Now, who'd you give your money to? You gave it to God. And God accepts it as that, as that one handful accepts it. But it goes out to take care of a lot of things. It goes out for repairs, supplies, missionaries, water, the preacher, uh, labors that we perform may not seem to be completely given to God. Cleaning, cooking, calling, writing, preparing, but yet they're all. And what do we give God? What do we really give God in all of our offerings and all our service? We really give Him maybe an hour on Sunday all together. Or a couple me preaching an hour and a half on Sunday or two hours in church. And I, I bet y'all ain't never seen me do a 15-minute, 20-minute sermon like I did this morning. Praise God, I'm proud of myself this morning. But listen, we give that amount of time on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night. And all of our gifts and all of our labors go go are, 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 are given to one another. Why, when you study for that Sunday school class, you're doing it because God saved you. You're doing it because God God, uh, God saved you and loved you and, and gave you an ability. But when you sit in that class, although God is honored, you know who's getting some help? It's those little children sitting in front of you. And those people in them pews. When I study in my, in my, in my, in my study, listen, I, it may be for hours and it may just be for 30 minutes and I try to do what I do for the Lord, but you're getting some help, aren't you? It's helping God's people. It's growing you. You see how it's like the meal offering? Our service, our labor to God is so much like this meal offering. You see, that divine portion is only a handful. Why? So that the work of God may go on and on and on. We see not only the divine portion, the delivered portion, but also we see the distributed portion. And like we saw in our chapter, the, how the, the remainder of that offering was given to the priests, was given to them. The remainder of the offering went to the priests. They ate of it. They gained nourishment from it. So why? What? So the work goes on. The fire still burns. The offerings are still made. The worship of God goes on and goes on and goes on. You realize that your meat offerings keep the work of God. Oh, you may be giving it to, to help me in some aspects of my life. And you may be giving it to support missionaries. But listen, and you're ultimately giving it to God. But it means that the gospel goes on. That the word still goes on. That the people are still being saved. That children still learn about a God that loves them and that will save them. The word goes on. And on and on. I know you give it to God, but it goes into our 
our worship of Him in this place. We see the meat offerings, portions, and then finally, this is the part I've been looking forward to. Amen. The meat offerings, pictures. The pictures. Now, I've alluded a lot to what this meat offering symbolizes in the Lord Jesus. You see, it first of all, it pictures our Savior. In this offering, the centerpiece is the corn of wheat. You can't get away from it. It's all centered around the corn of wheat. You know that Jesus, Jesus said of Himself that He was the corn of wheat to fall into the ground so that it might bring forth much fruit. We see He is the corn of wheat which endured the grind of Gethsemane, the heat of Calvary to become the bread of life which we live by. You see, He gave His all so that we might feast on Him day in and day out. So that we might grow and become more like Him. His life and His death were given so that we might have life and be like Him. You see, this meat offering pictures our Savior, but it also pictures our service. Remember I said the burnt offering, last week we talked about the burnt offering, is the complete giving of ourselves. Remember what I put into connection with uh, with that burnt offering, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are to offer ourselves completely to God. But the meal offering, the second one, is the offering of our service to God. It's the, a complete offering of our service to God. When we cannot give our, so we cannot give our service until we've given ourselves. Listen to me now. We cannot give our service until we've given ourselves. I was reading this C.W. Slimming, and uh, he got to this point, and he said, a beautiful illustration of this is the three wise men. My ears perked up. Man, we're close to Christmas. Man, this is great. This will go good in my message. They talked about the three wise men. And he said that many people automatically divulge or, or, or come to the conclusion that the wise men were three, predominantly because of the gifts given. What were the gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we really don't know how many there were because it never really says three. It just says wise men. It could have been four. C.W. Slimming went on to say, I believe there was more than three gifts given. And I was like, what? What's he talking about? Well, now I can't use it. Great. What is he talking about? He goes on to say this. He said, in Oriental time, in Oriental custom, any time that a prince was born, a royal descendant of a king was born, that the tradition was that gifts be sent from that king to the other prince the newborn prince, that they were to send gifts like frankincense, gold, and myrrh. They were to send them to that new king. But that's not what the wise men did, did they? No, in reality, what they did was they stopped what they were doing. They got on camels, and they went hundreds of miles seeking a prophetic king by a star in the east. 
Uh, you, you see, they didn't do that. Matthew 2.11 says that they went on this long journey and when they came into the house, listen to what it says, and when they came into the house, they saw the young child with his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. Did you see it? There's four gifts. Four gifts given. They gave themselves first. They came and bowed down and worshipped Him. <laughs> and then all their other gifts were accepted. I about had a fit. I know you're ho-hum now. I'm not a good... I about had a fit in my office. You see, there was a, a day, March the 20th, 1994, when I came, I came to Him and I gave Him myself I received Christ as my Savior. There was another day in 2001 or 2000 as a young man got dealing with my heart about preaching. I once again gave myself to Him first. And all these years I've been giving my gold and my frankincense and my myrrh the best I can to Him. But I didn't get the cart before the horse. And I'm telling you, you want to mess up your life? Get the cart before the horse. Start thinking that your works is what brings you to God. Start giving your gold, frankincense, and myrrh before you ever bow down to Him. I'm telling you what, it'll make your life a wreck because you can never give enough, go enough, do enough, pay enough to be accepted of God when you haven't given your heart first. Your heart first. C.W. Slimming, in closing, went on to say this. I love this statement. If we as Christians would spend more time contemplating what it cost Him for our redemption, we would spend less time counting how much it costs to serve Him. Man, I'm telling you what. That hit me like a ton of bricks today. Oh, poor pitiful me. I'm serving so hard. I'm laboring so hard. Oh, God, woe is me. When in reality, if I'd have spent more time kneeling at the foot of the cross, I'd have got the refreshment that I needed to continue on to serve Him anyhow. You see, it is that meat offering. Such a precious picture of our serving. God. Why do you serve God? Is it feeding your ego? Is it pride? Is it self-worth that you're gaining from serving God? Oh, I hope not. What a burden that is to carry with us. Tony, if you'd come with a song of invitation. And this is one of those buckshot messages. It just kind of goes everywhere. Usually I try to laser in on one thing and I tell you what, there was so much about our giving. Man, you know we can give and tithe and give above our tithe and offering and do it being rejected of God because we've got the cart before the horse. God wants you. This whole thing of the offerings 
It's not about the corn in itself. Not about the wheat in of itself. Not about the bullock or the goat or the sheep or the pigeons or the baked flour or the, or the roasted corn. It's about the individual. Don't get distracted. There's a lot of pictures in that offering, but it's about our hearts. God wants our hearts. God wants your heart when you write your time check. God wants your heart when you sing in the choir. God wants your heart when you teach a Sunday school class. God wants your heart. Let's all stand. As we come to a moment of invitation, every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you in this room would say, Brother Ronnie, in reality, there's been a lot of times that I've spent more time licking my wounds when I should have been when I should have been surveying the cross. I got my hand up just as high as I can get it. Oh, God, forgive me. We got the cart before the horse. Oh, let's, let's, get, our, let's get our offerings. Let's get our, the things we do for God and the things we offer God. Get it down to its very essential. It is about Jesus and what He did for us. And how He saved us. That's the whole reason for anybody to pastor a church. That's the whole reason for anybody to go to a foreign land. The whole reason anybody would want to sit in a pew. It's because Jesus gave it all for us. Maybe you've had that crossways in your life. And you'd like to come to this altar and make things right with God. You come. Maybe you're here lost. I want you to know Jesus was crushed and bruised beyond belief to take your sin. Would you come and receive Him? Repent. Flee the wrath to come. Find Jesus as your Savior. He died for you. Come take Him as your own. Let's, what song are we singing, Brother Tony? Before we sing, let's go into the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You so much for the picture of this offering. God, You are. The Lord Jesus is that perfect, unleavened, un, un, uh, broken. Un, uh, uh, completely pure uh, wheat. He is that one that is the unstained Lamb of God that is the perfect meat offering. Father, I pray You'd help us to rearrange our priorities, rearrange our perspectives, and endeavor to love and to serve Him and Him alone. For His glory and not our own. For His kingdom and for not our little penny ante kingdom. Oh, God, I pray you would reorient us to Christ and Christ alone. Help your people. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.